statue of limitations is up, as I like to say, I will gladly reveal to you what's been going on on this here iJosh over the past couple of weeks. There is so much happening in the sport. Late November, early December is where like 80% of this sport happens. I'm not just talking about on the field, although tonight, high atop a thankful downtown Nashville, Tennessee, we will talk about Rivalry Week. So we'll largely be on the field tonight. It's Tuesday night, November 21st, the year of our Lord, 2023, early start time, because yours truly has to get on the road tonight and make my way all the way down to Harris County, Georgia for Thanksgiving, last show of the week. More on our broadcast schedule in a second. But it is Rivalry Week. We will predict all the big games tonight. I have got a metric ton of things to say to you about Ohio State and Michigan. I think there is at least the potential, I have to be honest with you, the potential in the very near future that the college football playoff could have a very, very good old-fashioned conundrum on their hands where they actually do have to leave a deserving candidate out. Now, to my knowledge, and in my opinion, we really haven't faced that. I know some of you think your deserving teams have been left out in the past. I didn't necessarily share your opinion. And also, you know, I don't think people being mad at the end of a given college football season is reason to tear the whole thing down. A bunch of you disagreed with me. You got your way on that. But at least for this year, we have four teams, and we may have more than four candidates there. TBD. We'll talk about that tonight. JP Poll. Just, just wilding late into the season, still, still wilding is the JP poll. We have got, uh, we got some movement in the top five that I'm not surprised by, but I think some people will be. And I got several best bets for you. I've also got to talk to you in just a second about that. So they're watching us in Rainbow City, Alabama, Boone, North Carolina, Chicago, Illinois, and Manchester, United Kingdom, Manchester, England. Thank you so much for that. So as I said, uh, we do not have a show Thursday because Thanksgiving, etc. And you know, the games start Friday this week. So I can't do Friday night lines because half the games will be over. So you need to stay tuned. Follow on Instagram at Late Kick Josh. I may do Thursday night. I may do Friday morning like we did last week for Friday night lines uh, to a lot of fanfare, by the way. A lot of you like that. So stay tuned. I'll let you guys know in plenty of time. Just make sure you check in periodically and otherwise enjoy your families. But before we do that, we have a lot of games to break down. We got a jam-packed show tonight, and I appreciate you guys being tuned in. All right, let's dive in. Ohio State, Michigan, the Once Upon a Saturday Tour will be in the big house this Saturday. It's going to be, Jesse tells me, why am I leaning on Jesse for meteorological insight? 38 degrees and cloudy at kickoff. A non-zero percent chance of precipitation, 100 percent chance of toxicity and just utter hatred. It's a beautiful thing. It's what makes this sport great. Meemaw, one of the very few areas that she, I think, was a little misguided in is she, she told me hate will get you nowhere. And Meemaw never went to the game. And that's all I'm going to say about that. This is a big noon kickoff. It is 12 Eastern, and you can fill in the rest wherever you live. The stakes are as high on this game as I can ever remember in any regular season college football game. Just unbelievable. If you have a if you have an NFL fan in your life that kind of dabbles in college, but they can't really dive in, or if you have maybe a fiance or a significant other, someone that you want to introduce to our sport, cash in as many favors as you need to get them in front of a TV this Saturday, because this will be unbelievable. Have you listened to Jim Harbaugh talk this week? Have you listened to Ryan Day talk? Guys, most of the time, coaches are just willing to lie and at least say they respect the opponents they hate and don't respect. They won't even lie this week. It's awesome. It's wonderful because I am a winner no matter what. I just get to stand there on the field and watch it. Both of these teams are as healthy, as far as we can tell, as they've been pretty much all year. Travion Henderson looks as good as he's looked. Uh, you know, Blake Corum did not play in this game last year. He suited up. I stood there and watched him warm up. He played like one or two plays, and then he was done. We get both of those guys, barring something in practice this week. We get both of those guys. It looks like at full strength this week. So, million different angles we can go here. I remember being at this game last year. I remember so vividly, I told you guys the story. We went to, I think I ended up going to uh, both press conferences. I think I did. So after the game, we come back down the tunnel. Uh, Uncle Dennis and I were there and we did some post-game work for CBS. Ohio State had just lost the game. And some of the seniors on the Ohio State team came out of the locker room after they had been dismissed. You know, you're supposed to go back to your dorm, go home. Well, a lot of them were never going to play in that stadium again. And so they kind of trickled back down the tunnel, sat up in the stands. And think about this. This, was, this sucked for us. We're doing our live hit. And you got, you got players 
scattered throughout the end zone, some of them sitting on the turf, some of them sitting on the third or fourth row of the stands, just bawling their eyes out. Never forget that. And I remember thinking to myself, walking out of the building, explosive plays just completely decided this game. Michigan last year had 530 yards on Ohio State, and 382 of them came on six plays. And you saw the game as well as I did, and it's so easy to say, oh, if they just limit the big plays, it's a totally different game. But they didn't. Like, that's a football game. That's kind of like saying, well, if we didn't turn the ball over, we, or, or we should have this, or we should have that. Yeah, but you didn't. If you should have, you would have. This is how the game actually works. So they didn't limit them last year. Well, we fast forward a year, and all that changes is the venue, really. And I ask myself the same thing. I ask, what happens if Ohio State limits the explosive plays? And I also ask, can they limit explosive plays? I was at Michigan-Penn State a couple of weeks ago. If you remember that game, Penn State got really good edge pressure early on Michigan, and then Michigan adjusted to their offensive credit, and they just ran the ball on Penn State the rest of the day. I mean, they ran it and ran it and ran it on Penn State the rest of the day. I, the first thing I wonder about this is, um, independent of the pressure, Ohio State, JTT could have his breakout game. Yeah, they could get pressure on JJ, but independent of that, I just wonder if Michigan really is dead set on running the ball down Ohio State's throat. I wonder if they can. I wonder how much success they have there. Because it wasn't a classical run the ball down your throat situation last year. It was rip a few explosive plays and otherwise don't have a ton of big success in the run game, but the stat sheet looks like we did if you look at the yards per carry. Well, if we limit the explosive plays and then on the other side, just hold serve at the line of scrimmage and you force J.J. McCarthy to beat you with his arm, can he? And how many points does Michigan need? Because they got one of the saltiest defenses in the country as well. These are the kinds of things that I think will ultimately decide this game, but it's a Jim Knowles game. Out of all the people who are integral parts of what the outcome will be Saturday, one of them's not even on the field. Like, I think Jim Knowles, for all the talk about Harbaugh not being on the field, Jim Knowles, that defensive coordinator that Ryan Day brought in and had him last year, and now I think fully has him ingrained and, and all those players playing with kind of his thumbprint collectively on that defense, I think it's the best interior defensive line that Michigan's faced all year. And so I wonder what kind of success they have running the ball. I wonder... Uh, in other words, if it doesn't work out, and if you see Michigan get, kind of getting stoned at the line of scrimmage early, is J.J. McCarthy able to make plays with his arm? Because that's the next very important point in this game that I don't think it takes an expert to figure out is you hadn't seen McCarthy with a touchdown pass the last three games. It's, I don't think it's that easy to figure out. Like I've watched that dude play several years now. I know he's more effective than that recent stat line were to indicate. Against Penn State, they flat out didn't need to do it. Last week, I could reasonably explain that away as letdown spot, look-ahead spot, uh, defense and special teams carried the day, maybe it's just an off game. Individually, like you can explain that stuff away, but if I'm right, if that stuff's explainable, and this is the game J.J. McCarthy um, shows up in, or if he's the kind of player that shows up in big games. Obviously, this is the game he shows up in. And then the next point that I think about is, what does J.J. McCarthy winning the game for Michigan look like? If McCord wins the game for Ohio State, he just won the game throwing the ball. If J.J. wins it, he may end up putting up 83 yards rushing and 195 yards through the air, but they're really good on third down. They're really good and opportunistic in the red zone, and their defense helps them out, and they play a complementary style, which Michigan's done all year. Like, that's the kind of game it could look like. But no passing touchdowns the last three weeks. I've watched it. It just feels off. I don't know what it is. It just feels off. Kyle McCord, the biggest, the biggest concern I have with him in talking about the comparison with the quarterbacks is, consistency. I think an Ohio State fan would tell you the same thing, and I know they would because I have a group text going with some of them on the uh, iJosh right now. I think that if you were to get his best game, you feel pretty confident. Travion Henderson's back, full strength. You feel pretty confident, uh, but that's an if. You know, if you were to get that. Well, no one knows that. You know, and you're also trotting a guy out to start for the first time in this game, whereas Michigan's got the luxury of their guy having already played in this game. Ohio State also is 114th in turnovers forced this year, Michigan fourth in turnovers lost. So turnovers are random. I will grant you that. But if you're, if you're trying to bank on the fact that you win those sort of intangible or unpredictable stat categories, uh, mathematically, 
it wouldn't appear that the odds are overwhelmingly in Ohio State's favor. And look, Michigan is so player-led, veteran, senior-laden, it's just not the kind of team that's handing you a game. You have got to go in there and you got to beat them. Now, I think Ohio State's got a team that can do it. So it's not the end of the world if you're neutral in turnover margin, if you don't score on special teams, if you don't block a punt, as long as you limit them from doing it the same way. I think the number two position at cornerback for both of these teams is really interesting. When you, when you gauge other coaches, they kind of seem to talk about, uh, at least in the Big Ten, they kind of talk about the two-corner position for both of these teams. And if you have the personnel, there are plays to be made there. If that's the case, um, all due respect to Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson, who was big in this game last year, by the way, I look at the potential of Marvin Harrison and Emekic Buka. Uh, and you mix in tight ends on both sides of that equation as well. I like Ohio State's opportunity. Again, if you have consistency, if you have time to throw the ball, which falls back on that offensive line, if you have all those things, Ohio State can make a ton of plays through the air. Theoretically, could do that. The players are there, in other words. There's always talk about hype going into these games. There's always talk about mentality and edge. And um, to me, it's more about sustainability because it is, it is one of the easiest things in the world to get yourself up to play this game. It is infinitely harder to think back two years ago, for example, when you could feel Michigan start to take the game over, when you realized that Michigan was actually there and competitively and physically they were going to match you and maybe exceed you, Ohio State folded and, and Michigan flexed on them. Michigan started leaning and Ohio State crumbled. Now that's two years ago. Last year, I didn't feel like Ohio State crumbled at all. I thought they matched them. I just thought explosive plays went Michigan's way. They executed when Ohio State didn't. That's the way the game was decided. My point is leading up to this. How do you sustain that intensity? Uh, you, you will get hit and you will land hits. How do you sustain it? I felt like all the way back in spring and then going into media days and whatnot, uh, being around Ohio State a little bit, my biggest question with them was now that you tasted your own blood twice and you realize why that game is being lost, you, you tried to go one way, they countered another way, their ways had the edge, and you try and adopt and harden portions of your own infrastructure to match that. Are you there? I felt like going into this year, they would be there. But ultimately, we got to wait for the game to be played on Saturday. So, Colin, let's take a look at what the model thinks. Uh, currently at FanDuel, Michigan is minus three and a half. The total is... 45 and a half, so a lower scoring game is expected. Our model's a little bit shorter there. We've got Michigan minus two. I, in the preseason, uh, predicted Ohio State to win the Big Ten because I felt like there was an edge on that team that even if both teams were healthy and with the team or with the game being in, in Ann Arbor late in the year, I felt like they had addressed the necessary compartments of their team that lacked the last two years. And I thought they got really intentional, really after the Michigan and Georgia losses last year, about evolving in the areas they needed to evolve in. Didn't feel like they were a long way off. There was never a big gap or anything like that. I felt like they did that. Nothing has brought me off that this year. So this is a highly competitive game. It's, it's coin flip, 55-45 either way. But I've seen nothing to back me off that opinion. And so I'm going Ohio State to win. And therefore, I'm also going Ohio State to cover. I uh, wouldn't be shocked if the outcome went either way. But later in the show, we'll talk about what happens if this goes either way. If Michigan wins it, if Ohio State wins it, what happens with the loser? I just want you guys in the immediacy to think about this. As I said, if you've got someone who has never really been into college football, lay out the stakes for them here. I know you got to be a fan to fully understand how big this is, but You've got a team in Michigan that all season long, you've had in your mind parked in the number one, number two, maybe number three spot. And lately it's been number one or number two. And most playoff projections I've seen have Michigan penciled into the playoff. Therefore, they win the Big Ten Championship because they won this game, theoretically. And over the span of four quarters Saturday, that could all evaporate. That They are out of the Big Ten picture. They're probably out of the playoff picture. All of their preseason goals are out the window. You look at a guy like J.J. McCarthy, you look at a lot of these seniors and, and these upperclassmen that still leave Michigan having never won a playoff game. That stuff changes over one afternoon if they lose, if they win. If Michigan wins, I don't, I, I don't really know that I can put into proper context how toxic the, the narrative 
will be that forms around Ryan Day. It's already there. I'm not talking about from rival fans either. I'm talking about his own fan base. If your guy loses a third straight to Michigan, and this time against their backup head coach, I think you understand where that's going. I'm not, I'm not sitting here telling you I agree with it. I'm just saying it's reality, and sometimes my opinion is not held by the masses. I think you know where that's going. This is a very unique game because it is its own season. Even though they designated just seven days for the game to have it, it is its own season. It's its own little ecosystem, and it's amazing to witness. And we're going to be there for the third year in a row. By the slimmest of margins, I'm going with Ohio State to win the game and Ohio State, therefore, to cover as a short underdog. Nevertheless, whoever wins the game, we will have the shirt available in the Pate State store, PateStateMaterial.com. Uh, for about the next four days, because the game doesn't happen until Saturday, and then it will disappear. And so there it is, Michigan Stadium, the big house, this Saturday. Memorable, very memorable, no matter the outcome. Let's move on, because we have a ton more games to get to. I do want to remind you guys, you, you have not seen me talk about the transfer portal, have you? Haven't delved into it. I am, I am biding my time, because I know it's about to be crazy, but we've had so much other stuff going on but that's going to change in a little while. Not on this show tonight, but it's going to change in a little while. Uh, December 4th is the day. Everybody behind the scenes is talking about it. December 4th is the day. That's when the transfer portal opens up. Total tsunami coming. Mike Elko put it best at Duke. I, I don't really think he, he said, I don't really think the public's aware of what's about to happen. Going to be crazy. There will be a huge transfer portal show over on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Just go ahead. It's November 21st right now. I'm giving you two weeks advanced warning. It's going to be must-see. I'll be involved with it. That's not what makes it must-see. I'm just saying I'm going to be involved with it. It's going to be from 10 a.m. to 3.30. It's, it's kind of like signing day. It's just a different kind of available prospect. Uh, that's over on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. But, man, uh, trust me, on the other side of Rivalry Week, we will start to cover the transfer portal in earnest. It's going to be unbelievable. All the coaching staffs are ready for it. Well, they're preparing for it. It's going to be unbelievable. All right, let's get to several more games here. we got a lot to get to. The Iron Bowl is this Saturday. Alabama at Auburn. Alabama's a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. The game is Saturday, 3.30 Eastern, over on CBS. I've got two kind of ways of thinking that are clashing in my head right now. I've got the November theory, and I've got the Jordan-Hare history theory. So in November, the November theory is if a team is surging and then a team is fading, there's usually not the rebound. There's usually not the regression to the mean. You've just got teams on permanent trajectories, a la Georgia versus Tennessee last week. And one team just may be out of gas, and another team is about to completely roll that team. And that may be the situation we're in Saturday. But then, as soon as the angel on this shoulder says that, the other angel, the pro-Auburn angel, comes in and says, yeah, but... You know what it's like when Bama goes into Jordan-Hare Stadium in November. And I've just witnessed it too many times to ignore the orange and blue angel over here is my point. So these are very conflicting ideologies going on in my head right now. This is just a day in my life. This is happening upstairs all the time. I just don't talk about it a lot. And the company, the company offers counseling to me. I just don't take them up on it. I depend on you guys instead. Auburn's got to deflate this game. If they have a shot at pulling this upset, they've got... I can't believe these words are going to come out of my mouth. Auburn has to do to Alabama what New Mexico State did to Auburn. There you go, guys. I said it. Pay me my money. You dared me I wouldn't. Uh, they've got to, though. New Mexico State, do you realize they held Auburn to eight total possessions last week? Auburn ran 45 plays. And Auburn's got to do the exact same thing to Alabama. they probably got to be plus one or plus two turnovers. they got to limit possessions. Uh, they've got to harass Jalen Milrow, kind of like teams did earlier in the year, and they got to just hope that he's not accurate downfield as they're dedicating extra bodies to harass him like AM did. AM got to him, but AM paid the price over the top. Auburn's got to hope for best of both worlds there. Auburn's 4 0 also when they have an individual run the ball for 100 or more. I'm not quite sure they eclipse that mark against Alabama, but if they can do these things, if they can reach these benchmarks, and they can stun Georgia or stun Alabama early like they did Georgia, grab a 10 to nothing lead. Who knows? Uh, here's the problem. One of several as I see them. Here's a little pre-padlock stat for you in the Iron Bowl. Auburn is 87th in explosive plays allowed. 
That's what Alabama does. That's what Jalen Milrow does. Bama's ninth in the country. Uh, Milrow's one of the best quarterbacks in the country in doing it. It should allow Alabama, should allow Alabama to jump on them early, avoid the alternative happening. And if they do, if Alabama jumps on them early, full-on murder ball in the second half. That's the recipe. That's the script you have to flip. If you're Peyton Thorne, if you're Hugh Freeze, if you're Auburn, Alabama's passing attack also. The, realize, the, the other reason I don't have a ton of confidence in Auburn here is unlike earlier in the year, Bama's not leaning on one or two receivers. The past four games, listen to this, eight different guys caught passes in the Tennessee game. Eight different guys caught passes in the LSU game. Ten different guys caught passes in the Kentucky game, and Jermaine Burton, their number one, was out that game. And nine guys caught passes against Chattanooga last week. Uh, so Alabama's spreading the ball around, which greatly reduces the odds of you keying or bracketing on any one or two guys. If you do, they've got other options, which I felt like at the beginning of the year. I just thought they totally underutilized and mismanaged their wide receiver room. That's been a theme for a couple of years up there now. Or down there. I guess I'm in Nashville, so it's down there now. So having said all that, let's take a look at what the model thinks because the odds presented by FanDuel on this game are Bama minus 14 and a half. The number is not fat enough. They are baking past iron bowls into that number. That's the only reason it's that low. And I don't think it's a trap. I think the number should be up closer to 17. So there's nothing hidden here to me. I'm taking Bama to win. I'm taking Bama to cover. I just think they're rolling at the right time. And I think Auburn is fading at the wrong time. And did you hear Hugh Freeze Monday? Did you hear the Auburn head coach step to the podium? He stepped to the podium and probably said the thing I would least like to hear. He said, it's Iron Bowl week, and there's still a fog over our team from the New Mexico State game. I would like us to have a little more intensity. Uh, that's not good, friends. That's, that's, that stuff's supposed to be a given any given week, but especially an Iron Bowl week. So I, I respect the you-know-what out of Jordan-Hare Stadium and its ability to just lean in on Alabama seemingly as an environment. I don't think that's going to be a four-quarter issue for Alabama. They'll weather an early storm if they need to. I think Alabama will be okay Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. You'll be okay because of them, Academy Sports and Outdoors. You'll be okay if you need a tent, and you'll be okay if you need, uh, let's just say, pickleball equipment. You'll be okay if you need a grill, but you also may be okay if you need $10,000 in gift cards. You, two of you are going to be okay if you need SEC championship game tickets because they're giving both of those things away. A 10K Academy gift card and two SEC championship game tickets. And all you have to do to enter is download and log into the Academy app. That's it. And then you're registered. And I have every finger available, crossed and thumbs, that someone in our audience wins this. Even if you don't, stop by the store or go to academy.com, pick up some big league chew, uh, pick up a new bike, maybe both. I don't know how you like to live your life, but however you like to live it, if you're active at all, which if I know my audience like I think I do, you guys are, Academy Sports and Outdoors has you hooked up. And by the way, the reason you don't have to pay to watch this show or listen to it is because of Academy. So little little golf clap, which reminds me you can get pretty good golfing equipment there too. Thank you to Academy. Do we have a conundrum on the horizon? That's the next question I have. A little sip from the chalice tonight. Colin, I think this will be a good end point for this segment. So 
About a month ago, I started to see these graphics, some generated by my own employer, that showed what would happen if every favorite kept winning, and I laughed. Three weeks ago, I saw another one, and I laughed. Two weeks ago, I saw one, and I chuckled. Last week, I saw one, and I just stared at it, immunity. And then this week, I'm looking at them saying, oh boy, this is real. This could actually happen. And what I'm talking about is perhaps, for the first time in the playoff, uh, we could have more than four deserving teams. Let me stop. Let me stop because you just, some of you disagreed with what I just said. Some of you can remember several years where you argued that the fifth team or the sixth team should have been in. I didn't say we've been free of debate. And I didn't say we've avoided people being mad. I said, to me, there has not been a year where we had more than four deserving teams. And if you really want to go back, we could go back to like 2014 and that whole uh, Baylor TCU thing in the Big 12. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll grant you that one. But by and large, a lot of the wailing and gnashing of teeth has been a moot point to me because I thought that deserving versus qualifying was not differentiated enough. Like, yeah, there were teams in the mix, but truly deserving, I don't really think we've left many deserving candidates out. However, we're sitting here with Washington undefeated right now. We got Florida State undefeated. The Big Ten, in all likelihood, is going to produce someone undefeated. Texas has one loss, and they are the favorites to win the Big 12. Georgia may be undefeated. We've got too many teams if the favorites keep winning and not enough slots. So, I'm here tonight to try and, I guess, walk you through how some of this could play out, but if it doesn't play out, how I think it should be handled. The Alabama situation is front and present in the room uh, because Alabama does not control their own destiny. It's very popular around crimson circles right now to say, hey, if we win, we're in. Well, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. I will tell you definitively right now, if, if Washington keeps winning, you won't be in over an undefeated Washington. You just won't. Whether I think you should or not, whether I'd favor you or not, you're not going to be in over them. You will not be in over an undefeated Big Ten champion, obviously. I don't think you'll be in over an undefeated FSU, but I could be wrong there. We're going to have the playoff committee unveil their new rankings in like the next hour. Uh, you know my thoughts on that, and if you don't, I'll circle back to it in a second. And you're, you're not going to be in over Texas either. Like This is another point of contention a lot of people are are making. And I'm just, I'm wondering how you're even debating this. How are you guys wasting precious oxygen debating whether Alabama would get in over Texas? If that was the resume comparison, Bama's not getting in over Texas, nor should they. Texas came in your house and beat you. I don't care how long ago it was. If teams are even roughly comparable at the end of the year, resume wise, you're using the head to head. That's the whole reason you play football games. So for the record, I'd favor Alabama today if they play Texas on a neutral field. It doesn't matter because this is paper and they play the games, or at least they should in God's eyes, on natural grass. And I watched those teams play and Texas won. Texas beat them in their own building. They emptied Bryant-Denny Stadium out midway through the fourth quarter. You're not getting in over Texas, nor should you. You may get in over FSU if the committee deems the value of Jordan Travis to be that significant. But to me, Bama's best shot at getting in the playoff, if they go and beat Georgia, if they beat Auburn and Georgia, is a resume comparison against Oregon. Because then I'll listen to you. Because I don't think Oregon's resume at the end of the line, if they're a one-loss Pac-12 champ, overtakes Alabama's as a one-loss SEC champ. So stop wasting your time on the Bama-Texas thing. Bama's best shot, if it comes down to one spot for two remaining teams, is getting in over Oregon. That's the way I see that. Now, the next thing that I want to circle back and address is this whole FSU should be left out because of Jordan Travis nonsense, in my mind. Uh, now, I know there are strong feelings on this out there right now. So let me state my case. If Florida State beats Florida... And if Florida State goes to the ACC championship game and beats Louisville, and they are an undefeated ACC champion, there is no world where I think they should be left out of the playoff. Okay, so here are the counter arguments to that. Just so you can make sure I understand your points, I'll make your points for you. You think, if you disagree with me at least, 
you think that they either haven't played a strong enough schedule, which I disagree with, or you think the value of them losing Jordan Travis should be taken into account and it should be understood that if they played the whole year without him, they wouldn't be undefeated. Therefore, they should be judged and rated based on the team they are now instead of the team that they had been with him. And I listen to that. And I grant you there's logic behind it. I don't think Florida State's a top 10 team without Jordan Travis. I'm about to show you that later in this show. I've got, Jesse, where'd I have Florida State? I got like 13th or something like that in my power ratings, just to, just to show you how much I valued him. But like I said a second ago with Bama and Texas, it doesn't matter what I think they'd do on a neutral field. It doesn't. Once they've earned it, once the games have been played, the games have been played. And the other thing that I need to make sure gets repeated is back in 2014. If you just allowed Ohio State on paper to be judged, everybody on paper would have looked and said, yeah, this is a good team, but they're with their third string quarterback now. So obviously there's a reason that guy was third string. We're not going to put him in the playoff because they're not the quality of team they've been. Well, they got put in the playoff based on their resume and what they had earned merit-wise on the field, and then they won a national title. And so ever since then, I don't really care what a committee thinks they have the value on a player. I don't, I don't care if the committee thinks they know how valuable Jordan Travis was. I don't even care how valuable I think he was. So I certainly don't care what the committee thinks. If they've earned it, they're in. Because the bottom line is, you don't know. That's not how competition works. Again, this is paper. They play the games on the field. Now, the other, the other point that I think is interesting and totally flawed is the group that comes at me and says, well, we, we should get the four best teams in the playoff. There's a sizable portion of the college football public that thinks we should just try and get the four best teams in. And to that, I ask you, you're not, what are you describing at that point? You're not describing sports. You're not describing competition. You're describing odds making. You're describing power ratings. Do you understand right now, the University of Georgia could have lost to Tennessee last week and could go lose to Bama and Las Vegas still would not have four teams ahead of Georgia. So by that logic, you're telling me Georgia should be in the playoff because out in the desert, they say that they're still one of the four best teams. Is that what we're saying? If you answer yes, because you think it would create the most entertaining product, even though you're not a TV executive, then you're not describing sports. Sports competition is about two entities going at it, and then one of them wins, one of them loses, and there are consequences and there are rewards. But if you clearly define criteria, you go by the criteria, even though it may be written in pencil sometimes. You can't just sit there and say, yes, I know we saw the results on the field. However... On this piece of paper, here's what I think. So this is what we should go off of. And um, lastly, before I move on, I had a buddy of mine text me and say, bro, do you really think that Florida State should go to the playoff even though they'd get smoked by Georgia? My answer is, if they're undefeated, yeah. And I think they would get smoked by Georgia. I think FSU, as currently constructed, would get beaten probably by double digits by over half a dozen teams in that playoff, any, any given matchup. I don't care. This is not Burger King. You don't pull up in the drive-thru and get to hand-pick the matchups you want that best serve your interest. That's not sport. It's not competition. That's not how it works. It's not on demand. The playoff's not on demand, in other words. You don't just get to say, well, yeah, Florida State may be up there, but I, I don't like, like TCU last year. I think they're going to get blown out, so I don't think they should be in. Yeah, they should. If they're not in, you're not playing a sport. You're just... You're just constructing some, like, make a playoff. That's not the way that works. Next up, is the loser of Ohio State and Michigan definitely out? I think they are. I certainly think if Michigan loses, they're out. They have no leg to stand on. If they lose Saturday, playing the, playing the schedule they've played, uh, there is no shot Michigan should be in that thing if they lose. I think they know that, too. If Ohio State loses, they're probably out. But Ohio State, if some other chaos happened would at least be able to say, hey, we played Notre Dame on the road in out-of-conference play. And so our only loss was on the road to Michigan. Um, if some other stuff breaks, there's a, there's a back door for Ohio State, maybe. There is not one, nor should there be for Michigan. How about Georgia? Is Georgia out if they go all the way through the season undefeated 
and then they lose close to Alabama, and let's say, let's say landmines go off elsewhere. And that brings me to my last point. Let, let, let's say Texas loses in the Big 12 championship game. They're a two-loss team. They're not going to be in. Uh, let's say you have a head-to-head comparison. Um, something crazy happens, like FSU loses to Florida, but then goes and wins the ACC title game. Who do you put in? Do you put in one loss, Jordan Travisless Florida State? Or do you put in one loss, Georgia, with no conference title? I think they put Georgia in. I think they would. So, so if that were what it came down to, what about Georgia versus an Oregon, but with two losses? Let's say Oregon loses in a rivalry game this Friday, but, but Arizona also loses. So Oregon goes to the Pac-12 title game. They beat Washington. And you got a two-loss Oregon. I think Georgia would be in over them. So there's a way. There's a backdoor. You could insert Ohio State here. Ohio State may be in over some of them, too. The landmine games to keep an eye on. And the ones the committee may very well have rooting interest in, even though they'd never admit it. I think the committee would love to see Florida win this Saturday against Florida State. I think the committee would love to see Louisville beat FSU. And I say that not because they're anti-Seminole. I say that because it would alleviate them having to make an impossible decision if the time came. I don't think the committee would mind at all if Oregon State beat Oregon. Uh, The committee may not want to see Texas Tech beat Texas because I think that committee wants Texas in the playoff. But those are the landmine games that could at least alleviate the the stress of making, like I said, a pretty impossible decision. Anyway, let's get back to breaking down games, please. Speaking of the Seminoles, Florida State at Florida, Saturday night, 7 o'clock, Swamp is sold out, games on ESPN, and it's a battle of backup quarterbacks. Tate Rodemaker, the redshirt junior for Florida State. You got Max Brown. He's a true freshman for Florida. Who is going to help their quarterback the most? The FanDuel line on this game right now is Florida State minus six and a half. The first quarter in this game, to me, is as imperative and as important as in any big game this weekend. And the reason is because both offenses, prior to losing their quarterbacks, were top 30 passing offenses. So then you take out the quarterback that was the the trigger puller in that entire equation. Which one potentially just goes into a shell? Which one proves to you, no, we got another guy who can do it too. Uh, The run games were 63rd and 78th nationally. So it wasn't like these teams were taking over games on the ground. They were throwing the ball to win games. Each defense is in the 100s in explosive runs allowed. So you would think this sets up for a run game to take over, but neither of them has really shown the ability to do that a lot. So it's largely been quarterbacks that have done it for these teams. And maybe a quarterback steps up this Saturday. If one of them falls behind, though, that's when you get yourself in a lot of trouble. So I think the first quarter is imperative here. There's a world where Florida State, with the size advantage they have at receiver, just sees those guys go and and tear away half a dozen 50-50 balls and they just physically take the game over. There's a world where that happens. There's also a world for either of these teams, really. There's a world where that galvanization happens in the locker room where you lost your quarterback and your team knows it all week. And so you got an entire week's preparation, but also an entire week's worth of baking into your mind. Our guys down, we got to win it. We got to go win it. Linebacker room, uh, safety room, tight end room, we got to go win it. Does someone bottle that up? Do both teams bottle that up? Does neither team bottle that up? Florida is much different at home. You've seen them struggle on the road, much different at home. They allow two times as many points in road games as they do at home. Totally different. Like they beat Tennessee at home earlier this year and then looked like a shell of themselves the couple of weeks later at Kentucky. FSU has a huge turnover margin edge here. Florida has a huge penalties per game edge. It's a bowl game on the line for Florida. It's college football playoff livelihood on the line for Florida State. Let's take a look, Colin, at what the model thinks. Florida State, in the eyes of FanDuel, is a six and a half point favorite. We don't agree whatsoever. We've got FSU, according to our model, minus one and a half. I went and checked because I thought maybe there was an error in the model and it had not baked in the Graham Mertz injury. All of it's baked in. Uh, we think this is almost a pick 'em game. And I think that Florida is good enough at home. And I think the swamp with a bowl trip on the line will be lit up enough at home 
to where I will roll the dice. I will pick Florida to win the game. So obviously I think they'll cover. I think that may be a mild upset that's pulled Saturday. Um, Billy Napier needs that one really bad, man. You know what it would feel a lot like? It would feel a lot like uh, Beamer and his team beating Clemson last year and it sort of washed away some of the stench of an otherwise... That was a fairly good year for South Carolina, but all you remembered was the Clemson win. Well, if Billy Napier can get this win, there's still a lot to work on, but if they get to six wins um, at the expense of Florida State, then that's a, that's, that writes a lot of wrongs for Billy Napier. I think there's a shot they get it done. So I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to take Florida to win it outright. JP poll time. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, babe, come in here. He's going to do the JP poll. Yep, it's that time. Let me, let me take a sip. I should probably pop a couple of pills here. Let me see if I can. No, they swept the floors earlier, so there's nothing. Uh, it's, it's, it's week 13. And I'm having the same conversations every week. So it's been brought to my attention that a lot of you are tired of hearing me explain this every week. Others, the more sadistically minded amongst us, love it every week. So here's what I'll do. I will just, like I've never met you before, I'll say, Colin, here's your endpoint, And I will say, time to do the JP poll. This has nothing in common with the AP. It has nothing in common with the playoff committee. This is not how I would fill out a playoff ballot if I were a committee member. These are power ratings. And these are how I would stack these teams up according to our model on a neutral field tomorrow. It's been proven right literally over and over and over again this year. And the fan bases who thought they were being screwed and called me all kinds of names instead of admitting that I was right have just disappeared. There are a couple of exceptions. We have been wrong on Washington the whole year. There is an adjustment in tonight's JP poll. So let's break it down. I am so happy. In fact, it thrills me to announce that Troy University has made an appearance in the JP poll. John Sumrall and his staff are doing insane work down at Troy. They are number 25 this week, and they are challenging for a conference championship. His name is in the running for some major head coaching jobs. Just not even a golf clap, just an outright clap for John Sumrall and Troy. They're number 25. Florida's at 24. Tennessee did not drop out. Tennessee's at 23. Uh, Utah is at 22. I have concerns about Utah, as I do with a few of these teams, because this time of year, if you ran out of gas, there's no fill-in station in week, between weeks 12 and 13. If you ran out of gas, you're just out. But there's no real way to quantify that. So Utah could put forth an effort this Saturday that, that is equal to what we would expect from the 45th best team in the country. But we have to bake their entire year's profile in. So right now they're at 22 UCLA's at 21, just beat USC last week. Um, I got a stat for you here, by the way. So, Colin, you can go ahead to 20 through 15. But listen to this. So if you want to know about gaps, so the model right now has 10 points that separate number one through number six. The number one team would be a 10-point favorite, in other words, versus the number six team. But listen to how tightly packed the rest of the field is. The gap between 1 and 6 is 10 points. The gap between 10 and 32 is 10 points. So it's a moot point to argue this stuff. Like if you think, oh, A&M shouldn't be 18, they should be 23rd. There's like three quarters of a point separation. There's no difference. It's just, it's splitting hairs. Having said that, we got Ole Miss at 20, Louisville at 19, A&M we've had pegged right here in the same spot for weeks now. Clemson as well. The model did not punt on Clemson when they started losing uh, because they were properly rated. And now they've won three straight, and they're right there at 17. That's exactly where Clemson should be. Uh, Oregon State's at 16. Didn't drop them a whole lot uh, because they played the exact game that we thought they should play, absent turnover margin last week. And turnovers are randomized, and we do not bake them into the model. The model actually, this will really, really be loved up in Seattle. The, for the model's predictive purposes, do you realize it saw Oregon State beat Washington by about four or five points last week? Because it always eliminates turnovers, and it otherwise plays the game out the way the game would play out. And the reason it does that is because we have learned over the course of football history, if turnovers are randomized and you want a future-looking model and a predictive model, it is wiser to just eliminate all the turnovers and then 
crunch the numbers. How would the game have played out without them mathematically? It's an Oregon State win. That's why they didn't really drop at all. I, I think a couple of teams jumped ahead of them, and that was the only reason they dropped down a spot because we didn't subtract anything off of their power rating. I'm telling you right now, someone is punching air who, who doesn't get what I just said. Like, what do you mean you eliminated turnovers? That's not how football works. True. That is how power ratings work, though. Let's go 15 through 11. Number 15, and I need to talk to you about this team, is Arizona. Arizona, it stuns me that they're here. Every week, stuns me that they're here. Unbelievable job by Jed Fish. Florida State's at 14, so, so let's pause for a second. So you see now what I was talking about earlier. Without Jordan Travis, I mean, that's a solid six to seven point deduction on your power rating when you lose your quarterback who is of that caliber. So we've got Florida State at 14 without Jordan Travis. I cannot overemphasize enough. That team being at 14 has no bearing on whether I think they should or shouldn't be in the playoff if they go undefeated. This thing right here is totally different. It's not merit-based. This is just power rating. Uh, Missouri's at 13, really solid year being put up by Eli Drinkwitz. Penn State's at 12, Oklahoma's at 11, pretty much where they were last week. Top 10 time. So uh, Kansas State's still right there. Uh, Notre Dame as well. Those are very solid teams, but look at Washington. This could be the highest we've had Washington. Uh, there, there may have been one other week, but I think this is close to the highest we've had Washington. Uh, they're at number eight. And I'll tell you what I did. I stepped in and I realized I think we've had them a point or two off all year. Like I think we've We've been ahead of the curve for a ton of these teams. But Washington, we've been behind the curve on. And so the model did not adjust them at all last week. I told you, as, as far as the model's purposes are concerned, uh, Oregon State beat Washington last week for, for future-leaning purposes. Well, I stepped in and said, be that as it may, we continue to be a little bit off on them. So we manually adjusted Washington up just a little bit. I think we added three-quarters of a point, but that's good enough to put them at number eight. LSU is number seven. Think about that. Think about LSU with, with how poor their defense has been this year. They are so good offensively. They're at number seven. Like we would favor LSU against Washington if they play tomorrow. Not by much, but we would favor them. We would favor them against Kansas State. Uh, that's amazing because it shows, in a, in a sense, how much they've wasted Jaden Daniels this year with a poor defense. And it's a shame because you don't get seasons like that very often. Texas is number six, virtually unchanged. And let's go top five here. Ohio State's at five. That's where they were last week. Michigan, the model dropped them two spots and elevated Oregon above Michigan, which I'm sure will catch a lot of eyes. But do you notice who the one-two are now? We got Georgia-Bama one-two, like so many years past. We think the two best teams in the country at this present moment are in the SEC. We have got a two-and-a-half-point gap between Georgia and Alabama. We have got a six-point gap between Georgia and Ohio State. Obviously, number one and number two are going to play. Obviously, number four and number five are going to play. My point is you may be watching the playoff unfold over the next two weeks. Now, Oregon sits there and says, excuse me, and that is a valid rebuttal because maybe we're not. But you are, you are, you're not going to see all those teams in the top four, and the reason may just be because they have to play each other, is my point. Let's get back on the... Well, first off, let me show you the top ten there. So there you see it. If you want your screen grab to send to your cousin, who you can just aggravate because you don't explain the context to him, yeah, there it is. All of a sudden, LSU is ahead of Washington. Three losses ahead of an undefeated. What's wrong with this guy? Someone accused me of doing drugs earlier today. And that's where I draw the line. So um, there you go. There's your top 10. We'll tweet it out later. And then we'll just brace ourselves. Let's get back on the field. Oregon State at Oregon, a Friday 8.30 Eastern time kickoff on Fox. There's um, the November theory is in play here, I think. So remember, uh, remember a couple of weeks ago, Utah went and played Washington. Back and forth affair, and Utah loses a close game 35-28. to Remember what happened last week? Utah just goes and gets blown out by Arizona. That is a classic example of having 10 weeks worth of gas in a 12-week tank. And I think it may be in the cards in this game. Because Oregon State just played Washington really close, 
but they lost. So you fully expend yourself. Now you got to get yourself right back up. You got to go on the road on short rest, and you got to play one of the best teams in the country. I don't feel good if I'm over Oregon State right now. I don't feel good. Oregon State's defense does not profile well in this game at all. In fact, I don't like a lot of the matchups for them. Oregon's got the number two pass offense in the country. Oregon State is in the 60s against the pass. And I watched Travis Hunter have success individually against the secondary. I just watched Odunze do it last week in the freezing cold rain. I think Troy Franklin's going to have a lot of success Saturday. The bad news part two in this game for the Beavers is your best bet is running the ball, and Oregon looks and says, okay, go for it. Um, they're, they're the 23rd best rushing offense in the country, or, or the Oregon State Beavers, but Oregon's defense borders on top 10 nationally. So the, their run defense matches up very well with your strength, and, and you probably can't throw the ball enough to expose them. So that's bad news part two. Bad news part three is Oregon State has really bad home road splits. And Oregon is fully motivated. There's 0% chance they overlook this game. They got brand new t-shirts up there. FIBU, you can put that acronym together. I am negotiating a trade with the Oregon Athletic Department as we speak. Our new Pate State America's Team t-shirt goes to them as soon as we get landing size. And then they send us a FIBU shirt. We'll see. Negotiations are ongoing. So let's take a look at what the model thinks. FanDuel has this as Oregon minus 13 and a half. It's very similar to the Iron Bowl. We don't think the number's big enough. We have taken the rivalry aspect into account. We think Oregon minus 16. And frankly, I don't think it's going to be that close. So we're going we're gonna to lay the points. We're going Oregon to win. We're going Oregon to cover. And uh, that will send them to the Pac-12 championship game with everything to play for. They're watching us in Gainesville, Florida, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Evanston, Illinois, and we appreciate you wherever you're watching. A little bit earlier start tonight, so I'm sure our usual live crowd's going to come in and say, what is this? A fully completed show. Interesting. Um, that's, why, that's why we keep the replays up. But in the meantime, with a huge population watching live, just do me a favor and like the video. And then this time of year, since it is the season of thanks and giving, we would be thankful if you would give us a subscription, which doesn't cost you anything. You just click subscribe and then forget about it and go on about your day. A podcast and YouTube, by the way. Clemson at South Carolina. SEC Network, 730. Oh, man, Williams Bryce gets a chance to flex here. South Carolina won this game last year, 31 to 30. Clemson was a 14-point favorite in that game. It, it surprised me a pretty great deal. That win and the Tennessee win made Shane Beamer's season. So this year, they, they've got a chance again. they got to win this game to be bowl eligible. Do the Gamecocks. Clemson's won three straight. We kept them in the top 20 in the JP poll when it wasn't popular. And they have rewarded us by winning against Notre Dame and Georgia Tech. And don't laugh at that. Georgia Tech's been better than several of those teams over there who should have done more this year. And they've won against uh, North Carolina. So they got a good little string of wins going here, and they've established the run in each one of those games, which I expect them to do in this game. They ran it for 176 on Notre Dame, 260 on Georgia Tech, 247 on North Carolina. South Carolina's got the 52nd run defense in the country. And you know what? If you look at Kay Klubnick and you say, let's get it done through the air here as well, South Carolina's 118th against the pass. So there are plays to be made. However, that sounds a little one-sided. I do need to remind you, we get to enjoy home Rattler, at least one more game here. Spencer Rattler on the road, not so good. Spencer Rattler at home, his completion percentage goes up 13%. Pass yards per game go up 96 yards. Yards per attempt goes up four yards. Uh, touchdown to interception rate at home, 19 to three. Touchdown to interception rate on the road, two to four. Totally different player. And we get him at home here. So South Carolina, number 15 passing offense in the country. Problem being, you're going to have, yeah, you're going to have. This is what happens when they send me to New York to work. You're going to have a tough time, possibly, against Clemson. Number eight defense against the pass in the country. Um, Here's the other problem, as I see it. Clemson also gets after the quarterback. They got the number 40 sack unit in the country. They pressure the quarterback at a better rate than that. And South Carolina is in the 120s in sack rate allowed this year. They're sitting at five wins. 
They need one more for bowl contention. Shane Beamer always has the ability to, to pull one out of a hat you didn't even know he had. So, uh, Colin, let's go to the model. The FanDuel number right now, Clemson is favored by seven in Columbia. The model has Clemson minus nine. So we think the Tiger, well, the model thinks the Tigers win it and cover. I'm splitting the difference. I think it will be competitive. So I'm going to take Clemson to win, but I think South Carolina makes it very close with an outside shot to pull another upset. I'm taking Clemson to win. I'm taking South Carolina plus anything touchdown or over. We move on. We got more games to break down, and we've also got three added best bets before the end of the show. You know which game has game of the year potential to me? Texas A&M versus LSU. I know this isn't on everyone's radar, but friends, this one has game of the week potential. The nature of having an interim head coach like Elijah Robinson is at Texas A&M is you don't know what to expect. Normally, I know this sounds weird, but normally you're more comfortable when everything is as it should be over on the other side, because at least they play the way they're supposed to play. They show you the team that you've seen on film all year. And by week 13, they shouldn't be surprising you very much. Well, then all of a sudden, the head guy gets fired and an interim gets bumped up and they just throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and you have no clue what to prepare for. Uh, so let's be real. Have you watched AM lately? Have, have a lot of you watched Texas AM lately? Do you realize it may be the best defense LSU's faced all year? They faced Alabama, true enough, but A&M's eighth in total defense this year. They're top 20 against the pass. They're top 20 against the run. So on paper, they got an even better defensive unit than Alabama does. Uh, LSU does get them at home here, but nonetheless, it, this is not going to be the easiest chore to move the ball. However, Ole Miss did throw it some on A&M. Miami threw it on them. Bama threw it on him. Jaden Daniels will throw it. He will have success here. We do have the Death Valley during the day problem on our hands. I know you're listening to me talk about South Carolina getting a night game at home. Florida gets a night game at home. And there we are, 11 a.m. kickoff. I've still got bacon between my back molars, and we're, we're kicking off here. What is this? Well, I can't do anything about it. I'm sorry. But I do have some good news. You are favored by 11 and a half. However, on the other side, I have good news for Texas A&M. Now, I don't think 99% of the college football population is aware of this, but Jimbo had his team traveling to road games on Thursdays. No one liked it. No one in the organization liked it. If they said they did, they just said it so they wouldn't make the head coach mad. No one likes getting to Baton Rouge, Louisiana two days early for a game or Tuscaloosa or Knoxville, fill in the blank. So they had lost nine straight on the road. Jimbo's out. Elijah Robinson steps in. Now, he claims that they are traveling on Friday just so they can enjoy Thanksgiving. I don't really care what the reason is. There is a sigh of relief being, being breathed in that program collectively uh, that they actually get to travel like every other team in America on Friday. I don't know what it's going to mean. I'm just saying uh, there are cheerful spirits around the Aggie football program because of that. So let's take a look at what the model thinks. Vegas right now, FanDuel, LSU minus 11 and a half. We disagree. The model has it a lot shorter. We got LSU minus eight and a half. And with LSU's inability to close the door defensively, I'm telling you, I think we could see game of the week potential here. And that means a close game back and forth. I think 11 and a half is too many points. And so we're going to take LSU to win, but I'm taking A&M to cover the 11 and a half. And keep in mind, if you think that team has nothing to play for them, Elijah Robinson still has a shot at that head coaching job. Like his name is still being mentioned. And if he's out of it, he doesn't know he's out of it is my point. So I think they'll play inspired football for him. I think they love him. I think that's the reason he's got that job right now. So I don't expect them to lay down at all. And I think we'll get a competitive game. And if you disagree with me and you want to lay the points with LSU, that's fine. Go to FanDuel and have at it. I can promise you they will gladly take your action either way. Or here's what you could do. If you're confident in LSU and you're interested in free money, you could go bet $5 on LSU on the money line. Or you could just bet $5 on any money line. I just happened to volunteer LSU. You bet $5 on any money line. And if it wins, you get 150 in bonus bucks. Bonus bucks are not like Monopoly money. It's real money. I just called them bonus bucks. That's not FanDuel speak. That's JP speak. 
Uh, that is right now available for our viewers. And if you want to check it out, if you want a link right to it, just look below the show description on the YouTube channel right now. And there it is. Click the link and you'll be good to go. It's right down near the bottom. Um, Friday Night Lines, whenever we do that thing this week, could be Thursday, could be Friday. Brought to you by FanDuel. Ramen Noodle Express powered by FanDuel. This is kind of the beginning of our FanDuel partnership. I'm very excited. I, we've been having some conversations with them. There are some things that I've wanted to do if we ever got a sportsbook partner. And we've got one now. And they, they love the show. The, the folks we deal with at FanDuel are viewers of the show. I mean, I probably should ship them some Pate State merch now that I think about it. But we've got some ideas that I've never really seen anyone else do. We've been throwing them back and forth. We'll see if we can do them next year. But in the meantime, uh, FanDuel, the official betting odds provider of Late Kick. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. And with that in mind, I got three more games we're going to add on top of the pile right now. So we're already on Brigham Young plus 17 and a half. We're on Coastal Carolina plus nine and a half. We're on NC State plus two and a half. Good news. If you waited, you can actually find NC State plus three right now. Not all the time do we get on the right side of the number. Most of the time we do. So I'm adding the following games. I am confident enough in A&M that I'm taking A&M plus 11 and a half. I am looking at Minnesota plus two. I really love betting on teams with five wins going into the last week of the season. It's always been a little personal preference of mine. Plus, the model thinks Minnesota wins outright. So Minnesota plus two. And we didn't break this game down. I'm taking Texas minus 12 and a half. The model thinks Texas is going to roll over Texas Tech. Uh, I think the model has them winning by 19. And Vegas right now has them minus 12 and a half. So we'll take Texas minus 12 and a half, Minnesota plus two, Texas A&M plus 11 and a half to go along with NC State, Coastal Carolina, and Brigham Young. All right, so we got Thanksgiving, and we're all thankful. I'm especially thankful because you guys actually let me do this for a living. But also, we got to keep our eyes on the prize because the biggest beef I have with our sport is that the most important weeks of the year overlap with holiday weeks. So you got rivalry week and Thanksgiving overlapping. Then you got Christmas and New Year's overlapping with the playoff. It's always weird. It's, it's just something we have to work through. So, so one eye on the lunch and dinner table, another eye on the big house this Saturday or Jordan-Hare Stadium or Autzen Stadium. It's going to be an unbelievable weekend. Make sure you're following on Instagram at Lake Kick Josh, not just for when we do Friday Night Lines, whenever that is, but also need I remind you, two years ago, your boy was in the tunnel at Michigan Stadium when the big kerfuffle broke out. Fox was broadcasting the game. I don't know if I told this story. Fox had the game. Fox had to hit me up and ask for the footage because they didn't even have a camera up there. And you know what? I happen to like the folks over there. So I obliged. And you know what I charged him, Jesse? Nothing. Nothing. And shame on me for it. Look at me out there working for free. Shameful. Anyway, um, I've got the eye, Josh, in hand. And I will have access there before they open the gates to the public. And I'll be places you can't see on TV. So you never know what you'll see in the uh, Instagram story. You never know. 
I am headed off to Harris County, Georgia when I get off air tonight. So thank you guys so much. Have a great Thanksgiving. For producer Jesse, director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Enjoy Rivalry Week, and we'll be back here Sunday night. Take care. God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.